we'll just give him a couple of minutes and then we'll uh, shut the door and switch the lights off and have a nice little... Excuse. Yeah. <laughs> you have... This is session 14 and 15 if you've been to everything. Wow. So uh, I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to gaze into the middle distance and just phase out and we'll all meet back at an hour's time. <laughs> <laughs> I would completely understand that. I think um, I've, I've just had... Uh, Oh, my name's Andy, by the way, Andy Cottingham. I'm from uh, City Church in Bristol. I lead the team there that leads the church. We're a multi-site church in the city. And uh, we've just celebrated our 25-year anniversary, which is fantastic. Uh, the church was planted from uh, what was CCK Church in Brighton 25 years ago with my contemporaries. So the, the group of students that I went through university with all went to Bristol, not all of them, but a number of them did, and planted the church. And uh, we were going to go with them, but we went to South Africa instead. <laughs> so, we, so our friends were there, and we played a video. Did you see a video of the church? Or did you yes. see a very old VHS kind of video at the beginning with them in a small room? Mm. So that was those were my very good friends. That was the beginning of the church plant. So very exciting to... Uh, yeah, just to celebrate that. So yeah, we're a multi-site church in Bristol. Um, we did pretty well during COVID, I would say. And I know it's a challenging time, but we uh, have a, an excellent team. And uh, I think if I ever got a chance to talk about it, Ben did a thing about building teams, one of our elders yesterday. But team is just absolutely central to making anything work as far as I'm concerned. Uh, particularly if your skill set like mine is quite narrow. <laughs> like this, I can do about three things well and I need everybody else to do everything else. Uh, but that works very well for us. Um, the, so I just had a sabbatical. So I'm literally just, just back, so I should be really fresh from that. I guess I am. And uh, very grateful it was delayed by two years because of, because of COVID and we had a really good rest and I uh, highly recommend it. If you want a file on all the reasons why you should have a sabbatical, I have that file. And even a policy. If you want a policy for your church on sabbaticals, I have that too, uh, which I think some of you have already had. So if anyone wants that, it's avail available to all. And uh, if you want someone to argue with your trustees that you need sabbaticals, I'll do that as well for you, actually. So, so I got this uh, title, Why Am I Still Passionate About the Church? I have to say, I did wonder, why am I still passionate about the church? As if, well, you know, it's a, it's a struggle, but I'm still passionate about the church. And then I thought about the question and thought about who might come today. And I thought, well, the question might actually be, and it is a serious thing, and particularly post-COVID it's a serious thing, that you might actually be asking the question, am I still passionate about the church? Am I, am I after all of this? And I know, and I, you know, we're all friends here. We, we would be aware of people who said, I'm done. It's too much. It's too hard. I can't do this anymore, or I don't want to do this anymore. And listen, hands up if you've ever felt that as a leader. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> I've never written a resignation letter, but I have thought about it a few times. <laughs> And it's not always about a specific thing, is it? Sometimes it's just, it's just so many things. I noticed coming back from sabbatical, the, what was lovely was just that kind of that decompression mentally over uh, three months, which I, I had. And then you come back to it and you realise, wow, I'm talking about someone's, uh, about a wedding. We're doing a wedding tomorrow for about a lovely couple, but my goodness, it's going to be chaos. And their lives are going to be chaos. And we love them still, and we're going to marry them. And isn't that fun? And so we're doing that in one minute. And then we're talking about a multi-million pound building over here. And then five minutes later, we're, talk, we're, we're loading a van with a load of musical equipment to take to some other thing. And then two minutes after that, that's what life is like, isn't it? To lead in a church. It's like, oh my goodness. I, my brain is just over here and then over here and over here. It's a lot to take in. So am I still passionate for the church? And uh, I think I would have to say my answer is, yeah, you bet I am. <laughs> and I think it's... Um, well, hopefully we'll get to the reasons why, particularly. There's a few things, I mean, I think a few things I'll say that aren't really part of the talk, but actually I think are really important. I think a, a passion for the church comes hand in hand with being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I, I just experientially, often when people are first filled with the Holy Spirit, hand in hand with that experience comes, I've seen the church. I suddenly get it. I understand something more about what God is doing and what God has done in putting together this community of believers. Um, and just to say that, because I think that's also important, and sometimes that's, we don't really think about that as we're praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you think about, you know, the, traditionally the birth of the church is Pentecost, and with that strength, with that indwelling spirit, with that empowering comes a understanding of what God is about and what he's doing. Um, so anyway, before we get into what I want to talk about really, here are some things for you to think about some questions for you to ask and if you I mean hopefully we'll have some time to get back to uh, to the answers uh, later but here we go what reasons so you might want to write these down you might want to just think about them you might genuinely want to just look into the middle distance and ponder the universe but what reasons can you give that would cause you a lack of confidence in the church I can see some of you starting to look up wonder about that what experiences have you had secondly what experience have you had that have shaken your faith in the centrality of the church if you're a, if you're a good new frontiers kind of or if you're long in the tooth in new frontiers you've heard a lot about the church over the years but you may just have had experiences that I'm not sure anymore I'm not sure anymore and ultimately, here's a question. What worries you most when you think about the future of your own church? You might have come to the conference with like, oh, how on earth are we going to resolve this? How is it, you know, just how is this going to be resolved? How is it going to work through? And then just finally, all these bit negative, but we'll get to the good stuff in a minute. As a leader, how close are you slash how close have you been just saying, oh, I'm done? That's it, um, it's over for me. Thank you very much. And so while you're thinking about those very exciting, jolly, uplifting questions, would you like to turn to Ephesians chapter 3? <laughs> so we're just going to pick up in the middle of Ephesians 3 verse, uh, verse 7. It's Paul obviously speaking to the church. This great book talking about the mysteries of God revealed and then talking in great depth about what it means to be church, what it means to strengthen God's people. I became a servant of this gospel, says Paul, by the gift of God's grace given me to the working of his power. I'm the least, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. But this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this letter. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it can change us in a moment. We thank you for how the truth can free us from all sorts of things, Lord. Its ability, its power to transform our lives, to transform our, our experience, even how we feel can change because we've spent time looking into your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, we look just for a few minutes into this and other passages, Father. Would you please come by your spirit and work in us. Come upon us, Lord Jesus. Speak way beyond these notes in front of me. Speak, Spirit of God. Give us power and strength to do your will, to do your work with, with confidence, Lord Jesus, with faith, with courage. But we want a watching world to come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord. We want people to believe in you, Lord. As we see the people walking past, as we think of our own towns and villages and cities, Lord Jesus, we long for them to believe. We long for them to understand the goodness of God, the grace of our Jesus. Help us, Lord, 
Amen. Amen. So verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. If you had news to tell, how would you do it? If you had groundbreaking news to tell, and you wanted to tell everyone everywhere over all time, you know, how would you go? Big question, is that how would you do it? In the last, in the last few weeks, we've had the announcement of a king. That's, that's unprecedented in all our lifetimes. Probably will happen again, by the way, before most of us are gone. I'm anticipating, I'm hoping so, anyway. But what, how would you tell that news? Well, what we had was, and actually interesting, John was mentioning this uh, earlier, we had the town criers. Suddenly, there's a town crier on the streets. I'm like, where did he get his costume from? And what's he doing with a bell? Because most people under the age of about 40 have no idea what's going on. It's like there's someone standing at the, uh, you know, on, the, on the steps of the, of the town hall shouting at everybody all of a sudden. I'm not sure, actually, that's the, you know, that's the best way to tell everyone. Uh, but anyway, there we go. That's what they did. And we were told a new king is, uh, yeah, we have a new king. Amazing, really. Um, but how else might it be done? I suppose if you were a media company, you would just blitz all the social media platforms. You've probably got those in your church, haven't you? Someone, these young people keep telling you, why aren't we on Instagram? And you're like, what? What is Instagram? Well, why haven't we got a TikTok account? You're like, what are you talking about? But that's probably how it would be done. They would blitz all the social media platforms just to get the news out, to get everyone to find out about it. I like face-to-face, don't you? I like face I don't really like emails. I don't really even like phone calls. I like to feel and see, you know, I like to have that kind of interaction with people. I much prefer that. Um, and that's how I like to do things. So I like to, and I don't want to fight, and I want to, you know, how's this going across? How's this person receiving this information? All the kind of non-verbal communication that sociologists tell us about. I like all that stuff, and that's how I want to communicate things to people face-to-face. What about, you know, have you written a love letter, anyone? Remember letters? Remember when we used to have letters, do you remember that? I remember uh, just when my wife and I uh, were, were courting, and I shows how old I am, I just said courting, didn't I? Um, and, uh, and we would write to each other, and she was, uh, she was, uh, she was from Belfast in, 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 uh, in Northern Ireland. And I remember one of the letters she wrote, she, she sort of paused in the letter, somehow she indicated that, and said, oh, I've just had a bomb go off because this was what life was like way back, uh, well, for a long time in Northern Ireland. And so that, that was our letters. But I love it. You like a letter, you know? Write to each other. It's a nice thing to do, isn't it? It's a great thing to do. Anyway, we'd probably come up with a thousand different ways to communicate something of real importance. And actually, we pay companies to do that, don't we? That's what happens. Advertising companies. They sit around and they come up with inventive ways to tell us what shampoo that we need and... It's, it's mostly yoghurt and shampoo, isn't it? That's pretty much what we're being told about all the time in adverts. And they come up with their own language to tell us what we need uh, to eat. Bifidus digestivum. Remember that? That's yoghurt, apparently, but in a fancy way. So anyway, that's the kind of thing that we are told because people are thinking about how to communicate. How would you communicate something of great importance? But in this passage, and... Here in this book, what we find is that God has this deep and profound reality. He wants to communicate something of himself to the world. He has this, this, this glorious and ancient message, this thing that is described by Paul as a mystery revealed. It's like no one knew what this was. They, they longed to look. In 1 Peter it says angels longed to look into these things. And here we find now it's been revealed. And of course it's Jesus. It's this gospel of grace. How is he going to do this? How is it going to happen? Someone said, um, someone said this about the church. said the church is a graduate school for angels. Because they, they, they struggle to understand how is God going to bring a holy God and a sinful. How is it ever going to happen? How is it going to happen? And in the church is the answer, is the expression of grace to the world. How do you communicate that? It's got to work, of course, hasn't it, through time and culture. It's got to be profoundly complex and yet simple enough for a child to understand. It's got to reach back through time 
to primitive world and makes sense to them, and yet it's got to make sense too to people who are exploring the universe and splitting the atom. So where do we see? Where do we see this wisdom displayed? Where could it happen? Would it be maybe creation itself? Certainly a contender. Wouldn't it have to be a contender, wouldn't it? Amazing in its diversity of life, staggering in its beauty and complexity, the interconnectedness of life and the natural world, the staggering size of the universe, the power of the stars. No wonder the psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. But this isn't it. It's not there. That's not where God communicates this glorious grace. It's not, not even in creation, although it's got to be part of the story. What about the Bible then? We've heard a bit about that, haven't we? It contains everything we need for life and godliness. Wonderful. Staggering again. 66 books written over thousands of years by you know, refugees and kings and princes, all different people. And it's not the apparent discrepancies that are staggering. It's the incredible unity of the message. That's what's staggering about it. And yet still, that's not where Paul says... That's not, what's, that's not where it's primarily displayed, this glorious mystery, this incredible wisdom of God. And the answer, of course, we know it is in the passage. God who created all things, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold, the multicolored, the multifaceted wisdom of God, that's how it would be displayed. That's where it would be, just through the church. Through the church. This thing that we're wondering, does it have any legs left? <laughs> this thing I'm wondering, do I give up on it? And why would I labour that point so much? Because it's central. It's fundamental. This glorious gospel of grace, we're going to talk about that in a moment, it needs to be expressed. It must be, we must make it known. This is the mystery revealed. This is the wisdom of God. God wants to show the world what he's like. He wants to demonstrate it through relationship, not just technically, but lived out. It's through the church that that happens. It's through the church. Two things immediately occur to us if that's true. Firstly, God thinks very highly of the church. That's obvious, but it's worth just Noting it down, God thinks very, very highly of the church. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Secondly, following straight on from that, we should be really careful about our attitude towards the church. <laughs> we should really think carefully about that. Because it's central. It's a very, very high priority for God. And... We're so quick, or we can be so quick, to just dismiss the church as a problem, or as problematic, or as a headache. And yeah, it causes headaches sometimes. <laughs> but do we see it? Do we see? I, hope, I want us to see something of, the, of its centrality, of its importance. Some of us might need to rethink entirely. We might have just got so caught up with the challenges, the complexity, particularly the last few years, um, that. We forget that this is how God is going to display something of absolute wonder to a watching world through the church. These precious people that God has given us. This is how he's going to do it. It's not, it's, this is how he has done it. This is how he will. This is how he longs to do it. He longs to demonstrate this. I mean, so many things that we've heard over the last few days come together here. I was in Steve's seminar just now, and he was talking about how God loves to, in restoring the brokenness of people, to display something even more wonderful. That's grace, isn't it? That's glorious grace. Through people, through the church, displaying it to everyone. Putting it up on display, saying, look what, I, look what the gospel does, look what the power of God will do. And there in the church, we see it. We should treat the church with real honour because of its place in the plans and purposes of God. Again, we know the answer to this, and I'm going to labour this point of grace, partly because I love it, and partly because underneath the outworkings, which Paul is talking about here in, 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 in the church in Ephesus, which is 
the, the, the connecting of the Jews and everyone who's not a Jew <laughs> together, that's, 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 the, that's the pressing issue for them. And he's saying, do you realize that God has made one new person, one new man in Christ? Do you see that? But underneath that is the gospel of grace at work. He's saying, look what the gospel of grace can do. It can bring these impossibly separate things, just like a holy God and sinful people, and bring them together, unite them. Do you see it? But we, we've got to get it. We've got to see it. We must revel in it. And as often with grace, you know, sometimes it, I, I stop being staggered by it. <laughs> and it's staggering. It's staggering, surprising, unexpected. And I still want to be caught out. I want my breath to be taken away again by his grace. And this is the wisdom of God. <laughs> This is this manifold, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom. And it's unique to this body of people. It's unique. It belongs to them. Yes. Belongs to them. Now get it out there. Let it be displayed. It's wonderful. It's glorious. So what is it? Let's look at what is this mystery. And we know it, but listen, it's good for us to rehearse these things. If you ever get tired of rehearsing grace, hang it up and get out. <laughs> I often say to people, if you... If you could only study one aspect of theology for the rest of your life, study grace. Study grace. J.R. Packer. J.R. Packer's getting a good look in today. He says this, grace is the key that unlocks the New Testament. That's the key that unlocks it all, actually. And Paul is making that point here by saying the manifold wisdom of God on display. And underneath that, bringing together of Jew and Greek and everybody else, in whatever context you like to put yourself in, is this grace at work. Beautiful, glorious, un unexpected, surprising, goes so much further. Grace goes so much further than I think it does. Yes. Have you ever actually seen grace, not just taught, but working? I mean, of course you have. You've seen it, haven't you? When suddenly God prophetically speaks into the conscience, and you're like, oh my goodness, he really loves people. <laughs> <laughs> And I, thought I was trying to be nice to them and you know, trying try to extend a bit of kindness. God is passionate for these people. It's, like, it's almost like he breaks his own rules. But he does, constantly. Just wide out, he's so full of grace. It's the wisdom of God displayed. Anyway, let's talk about it in a bit more detail. This revealed mystery is the gospel of Jesus available to everyone. Everyone who will believe. And you might say, but that's just too simple. How can that be this? How can that be the wisdom? It's just too simple. Isn't that the easy answer? Isn't that the answer from, you know, from Sunday school? You know, I don't know what the question is, but I'm pretty sure the answer is Jesus. So then the child's like, I think it's supposed to be a squirrel, but Jesus is always the right answer. So we'll give Jesus the answer. But that's my point, is that if we're not surprised by it, we haven't got it yet. If you're not staggered by it, I've said this to God. Have you, ever, you know those Psalms when it says, it talks about sh shouting for joy. And I've said to God, I want to shout for joy. But I want to really shout for joy. What would it take? What would it take in your experience that you actually shouted for joy? Not that you sort of, okay, everyone, after the next song, we're going to all shout for joy. No, it doesn't, that's not how it works, is it? Shout for joy just, just takes you un unawares, doesn't it? Whoa! It's like... <laughs> And we're all British people, and well, maybe we're not all British, I'm British. And, and so we don't do that anyway, other than we've really, you know, someone's told us to do it. <laughs> I think grace, properly understood, makes us shout for joy. Makes us shout for joy. I'm loved. I don't deserve it. Anyway, let's, let's, I'll go back to my notes, I think that'd be more helpful. If you were to take a clipboard, and I've done this, I did this for years, because I did new life teams. Some of you remember that. They then became frontier teams, and now are internships or something. But way back then, we would be, we would be given a clipboard, and, and you'd go out into the high street, and then you'd start talking to people about Jesus. And the first question you asked on the list, and it was always the same, was, um, uh, if, you know, if there is a God, what would you say to him to let you into heaven? You know, what would you say? What, what, and that was the first question. We always started with that. And I must have asked hundreds of people that question. So I know what the answer is almost uniquely is this. Uh, well, I've been quite a good person. 
Um, pretty much everyone would say, uh, at least I've been better than this other person. I'm slightly better than most people. I've never done anything really bad. I gave to that charity that one time, and you know, I went to church once, and, um, and all sorts of other crazy answers as well. But mostly it's something about behavior with a hope to impress God somehow. Or behavior that might lead to, you know, just, uh, I don't know, the access to heaven or something like that. That's pretty much what everybody says. Well, of course, if that was the gospel, that's not a mystery at all. That's how every religion in the world works. <laughs> behavior management, let's hope God's impressed. Sort your, you know, sort your behavior out, be a nicer person, and you'll get some reward, maybe, if you're lucky, at the end of it. Pretty much that's how everyone thinks it works. Here's the thing. Lots and lots of Christians think that's how it works too. <laughs> lots of people in your church think ultimately, they might, they might know technically that's not how it works, but they feel that's how it works. They live like that's how it works. And that's why when we teach grace, we've got to, we've got to really plumb the depths of it. We've got to emphasise it. We've got to, we've got to keep going until we're blue in the face. <laughs> because it's so unexpected, so surprising, so wonderful. It is... God's multifaceted, multicoloured, multi-wonderful wisdom. It's that, it's that diamond with the light shining through it, which, poof, oh my goodness, I didn't expect to see that. I didn't expect to see that. Grace of God, it's manifold wisdom on display. Where? In the church. In the church. Wonderful, glorious. And we need to keep focusing on it. So, so often, there's no mystery out there. There's no, there's no expectedness. Just behave yourself. You know, maybe if there is a God, he'll be impressed with it. Be a Christian then, according to these answers, generally given as a suitable sort of behavior, uh, management, hoping to approve God's, well, approval by God at the end of the day. This is what Keller says the gospel actually is. <laughs> It's a bit dry, but I think it helps us. Through the personal work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin to fellowship with him and then restores a creation so we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. God does it. God does it. God does it. What, what, what do I do? You just believe it. You just believe it. <laughs> Believing... The gospel, it's just like, it's like, well, it's like picking up the winning lottery ticket and just cashing it in. It's like, is, that, is it that simple? Is it, is it just believing? Is that enough? Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising, isn't it? No one believed that. No one, no one thinks that's how it works. Half your church doesn't really think that's how it works. It's how it works. You believe in Jesus and you are rescued from sin, from hell, from eternity outside of God's presence. You're a son, a daughter of the Most High God by believing. Mm. It's staggering. Mm. Makes us shout for joy. Mm. And that worked out in the church is wisdom from God on display. Surprising. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. People won't, even when you tell them they don't believe it, they've got to, they need to see it demonstrated. Just see what it looks like in practical relationships. What does it look like with, the, with, with your finance? What does it look like with mums and dads together? What does it look like when you fall out? What is it? It's wisdom on display. It's the grace of God worked out in the church. And that is where Paul is sort of pointing us here, I think, in this letter. And he's, he's doing, you know, he's, he's, when Paul speaks in these moments, and, and what he does in this little passage... He actually interrupts himself. So he starts speaking and then he just interrupts himself with this pouring out of wonder about God's, God's grace, this revealed wisdom, this manifold wisdom displayed. And it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's like, oh, there's so much to understand. And again, that's why you need to see it displayed. So, I, so ultimately, listen, I, I'm not in his family. You are not in his family because you're impressively holy. I'm not. Are you impressively holy? I'm just not. I'm not impressively anything. I'm not impressively holy, that's for sure. Uh, it's not because you're connected through family or through schooling. And again, this was the, this, this was, this was the thing for the, for the Jews. They, they're totally connected. They're completely in. 
but they're finding out. It's not, that's not why. That's not why you get favour from God. It's not because you, uh, and it's certainly not for you, why you're connected to your family or school. You're not because of anything you've done or haven't done. Not because of anything that was done to you. Not because your parents were good, bad or indifferent. Not because you have the requisite qualifications to get in. Not because you're an extrovert or an introvert. Not because you're good at making friends. Not, God forbid, because you're of a certain race or your, or your skin is a, of a certain colour. Not because you've anything that you haven't done now or will do in the future but because of his great love for us but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made you alive in Christ even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins grace surprising grace on display none of the list counts leader or not elder, apostle, prophet none of it None of it counts. It's Jesus. The great, it's this leveler. Suddenly we're, we are one in Christ. Here we are. One in Christ. Brothers and sisters. One in Christ. As I've said, the shock for these first readers, the absolute staggering shock for, the, for Jews who would have read this and, and, and had this read to them, was these, these Gentiles, get, they get to inherit this too? Yeah. And the staggering thing for our culture is what? It's that everyone gets in. Different classes. I, think, I often think about the, the, our, the British, I don't know, the little secret is, is, is you know, race is an issue, but it's class for us. The one we don't really talk much about. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, I lived in South Africa for a while, so I feel like I can speak from outside the culture sometimes. People are like, oh, yeah, you don't like each other, do you? <laughs> United in Christ. One new person in Christ. How? The grace of God. I think, I think it is Keller who says, you're much worse than you possibly imagined. And God is much more loving and gracious than you could possibly have thought. And that's absolutely the case. And when a church, and this is why the church is so important, or at least one of the reasons, when a church reflecting, reflecting this gospel of grace starts to look like that, when it starts to celebrate one another, loving each other dearly, not because we're all the same, not because we share the same interest group, not because we look the same or we vote the same, but because I'm in love with Jesus. That wisdom is displayed and God is glorified and all kinds of wonderful things start to happen. And that's where Paul is helping us. He's reaching for us to understand something of that. So just, uh, yeah, so how would, we be, how would this be declared? How would they, what would this look like in the church? Well, there's three things that Ephesians talks about, uh, or descriptions that Paul does in other letters in more detail. But he talks about the church as a family. He talks about the church as a body. And he talks about the church as a temple. And in those three, if we, if we think about the church in those three different ways, just for a few minutes, it'll help us to understand how that wisdom is displayed and how the church is, uh, gets to you know, send that message out into a watching world. It's so important that we see something of these things. So firstly, the church in Ephesians is described as a family. And we know that Paul uses these analogies in other places as well. It's a family. It's a family. It's a family that wants to grow. You see when couples come together and they get married and you know, maybe, they, maybe they have children, maybe they grow in even more exciting ways. And there are more exciting ways than having children. Adopting children is a fabulous way. I think it's, in one sense, it's an even more biblical way to grow a family than just having children the normal way. Why? Because they want to share love with uh, those around them. They want to grow. And as a family grows, it, it demonstrates that love is there to be given out. And of course, families can grow through deep and abiding friendships. They can grow through interactions outside of themselves and inside of them. There's all kinds of ways that families grow and demonstrate God's love. Paul in Acts uh, 18, uh, we read this of Paul anyway. One, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. I'm with you, no one will attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. He stayed and then he stayed for longer. And so his motivation in that context was so his family needs to grow. There are many people in your village or town, your city, there are many people, many people 
that God has got, he's got his work. God wants to see, them to see this grace, this glory, this wonder, this wisdom. And so a motivation is to be a family that will grow and demonstrate something of this wisdom. There's a sense of love to be expressed, and it requires additions. I think when we got, when we got married, it's like we want, we want more people in this, in this thing. We want more people in this family. We, we, and you know, the, the, the incredible thing about humans is we can make more people. <laughs> Let's go make a person and love them. And like, well, maybe that's what God did. <laughs> Let's make a person love them. Yeah, we get to do that too. And as a church, we can do similar things. We can, we can adopt people in. We can love them. And we can share something of God's love with the people around us. Deep friendships and myriad of other ways we can do that. And when a family grows, as I said, because of God's transforming power, because God's with us, because we're excited about who he is, because we're looking at each other in, uh, and people outside in a different way. So I'm, I'm observing, I'm not looking and thinking, well, what class are they, what, am I going to like them? What class are they in? What colour are they? What language do they speak? When I start to look at them like God looked at me, which was to love me and think I'm going to rescue him, when we start thinking about people in those ways, how can we get them into this family? Then we see something of this wisdom displayed and we see the church strengthened and grow. This diverse family displays God's wisdom and power. Um, I'm going to quote in a minute um, a guy called Larry Hutado who wrote a book called, wrote a couple of books, but or many more than two books, but why, one book interestingly titled, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? He wrote that book. And in that book he wrote, he, he identifies five different ways that the early church stood out in the culture of the day. And, uh, and one of those ways was just its, it's multiracial. It was just everyone was in. And he says, it never happened before. <laughs> everyone just was in their tribes. That's how it was. And suddenly there's a reason, Jesus, to draw in other people. And suddenly there's people that don't look the same and don't sound the same, suddenly all getting on and getting stuck in with one another. It was profound. Why? Because Jesus was at work. It's wisdom from God. It's like that reversal of the Tower of Babel, isn't it? It's just like they want to be, they were, they were elevating themselves and they, they want to be like God, don't they? And they, they build a tower to their own glory. And then in the church, you see the opposite thing happening. You see people coming together of different languages and you know, different cultures and worshipping Jesus. We'll come on to that a bit more as we get to the end. But it's something of God's wisdom on display. So a church, when a church works as a family, it displays without being just all the same. When it works that way, we display God's manifold wisdom. And it's unique on the planet. Secondly, the church is uh, like a body. Uh, Paul uses that picture often, doesn't he? It's like a body. And it's a, a body which is, each part is wonderfully different, but, and yet we need each other. You need each other to be healthy and to grow. You can't do without anyone. And that's the point of his analogy. You can't do without. The hand can't say whatever he's, whichever one he talks about. You, the hand can't say, I, I don't need you to the foot. The foot can't say, I don't need you to the head. You know, we need each other. And that's, that's humbling for leaders, isn't it? You need those people. <laughs> you need them. You need them to be a healthy body. I don't really like them. Yeah, but you need them. They're part of God's family. You've got to love them. I often say to people, you've got to love people you don't always like. <laughs> you've got to love them. Or actually, I say to them, you still need to lead people. People need to be led, even if, even if you think, I don't, I, I, you know, these, these wouldn't be my favourite people. Why? Because they need, we need each other. They need your skill and your gifting, even if, it, even if you kind of rob each other up the wrong way. That's part of God's wisdom on display. Again, it really is. It's a family. We are a family. We are a body. And again, I'm going to quote now a bit more detail from Laiho Tado's book, Why on Earth Did Anyone uh, Become a Christian in, in, uh, in the First Three Centuries? And the point of this healthy body is a healthy body, uh, in biblical terms, wants to start bringing health beyond itself. It wants to look beyond itself and bring health to those around as well. 
and a healthy body and a healthy family want to be hospitable, want to gather in, want to share what they have with others. And what he says about this, this point of, 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 of the uniqueness of the early church was that the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor. This, this family's body wanted to share its health with those around it. It was famous for its hospitality to the poor and suffering. Uh, and while everyone was expected to care for, like, like care for their own body, that's what Paul said, yeah, everyone knows what care for their own body. Um, but this, this church, this group of people were suddenly caring for those outside of their family and tribe. And it was, this was a complete surprise. This was, he says, unprecedented. Not been seen before. No one saw it. No one expected it. During the urban plagues, Christians characteristically didn't flee the cities but stayed and care for the sick and dying of all groups, often at the cost of their own lives. This body wanted to bring health to those around it, this healthy body that was learning to look after itself, to bring health to itself, wanted to bring health beyond itself as well. Of course, we've heard this already through these few days. The parable of the Good Samaritan worked out in the community is the wisdom of God on display. The wisdom of God on display. Reaching beyond your own tribe to draw others in is the wisdom of God on display. And then finally, the picture is of the temple. There in Ephesians 2, there in Ephesians, Paul describes it again. Of course, there's another familiar picture for us. This Old Testament principle, with the, or, or this understanding that the temple was the center that's where the presence of God was, but it was also the center for life. You know, all life sort of happened in and around the temple, and we read those stories and acts, and uh, the, the people went to the temple, and business was done in the temple, and friendships were developed in the temple and around, and you know, life came and went from the temple. And the church is like that too. It's supposed to be that, and this source of life, this center of the community, is now God's people with the presence of God in the midst of them. Glorious, wonderful. And of course, the picture uh, that we've heard uh, from Ezekiel, where the river flowed out from the temple, this, this life-giving river, wherever it went, life sprang up. Or the pictures there in Isaiah, where, the, where water flowing in the desert just, boom, suddenly springs to life. I've even seen a desert. We used to, so we used to live in South Africa, and in the spring, the, the, the rains would, would come to the desert, and you, people would just travel for hundreds of miles because literally what was dead suddenly is just hundreds of acres of wildflowers. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Nothing and suddenly life came. It's really, have you ever seen a video of that happening where it's just dead and then life comes? And that's the picture here. It's, it's the picture of the life of God poured out from the temple. The presence of God poured into the people, poured out into the streets. It was really beautiful. Bringing life wherever it went the limitless resource of the spirit to share the limitless resource of the spirit to share the presence of God you know that as a as temple as, a, as the curtain is torn into it's not, it's not to be hidden away anymore it's, it's, to, it's for everyone everyone who will come gets to, gets to experience the presence of God I don't think you I, don't think, I think as Christians who go to a lot of meetings and of worship times, we get so blase about this. You're in the presence of God. <laughs> People come into our meetings like, "What was that? What just happened?" They do. They say that. What was that? What, uh, what we were singing? It's the. What, what was it though? It's the presence of God. It's God's promise. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Wisdom of God on display. Where? Where does it happen? God inhabits the praises of his people where two or three are gathered there I am in the midst and, he, and what does that mean? well we know God's with, well, God says he's with us and then he says he's with us when there's two or three I think it's something like that it's like go be the church and find out what that means <laughs> go enjoy it go, go gather together worship him find out what that means and people come into our gatherings come into the building come into small group or whatever you call it we call ours connect groups now for some reason. I think we just invent new names for our small groups, don't we? Every couple of years. Let's have a new name for it. Anyway, they come into those contexts and they experience the presence and the power of God and they are staggered. And that's the manifold wisdom of God on display through the church. 
It's beautiful. It's glorious. It is God um, with the people. I would read the passage where Jesus talks about this. We've read it read already today. I think Tim, you read it. The last and greatest day of the feast. And he says, it's going to pour out on everyone. Everyone gets, everyone gets some as it were. Where does it start? It comes from, it comes from within. It comes from the temple. It comes from God's people gathered together. This wisdom starts there. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is on display. And then, of course, that temple is to share. So your church is there to share resources with those around you. You to share leadership and wisdom and courage and faith and finance. And not just with other Christians, but out into the world. You've got so much to give. Sometimes we need to realise that. <laughs> There's all sorts of things you have to offer. People are desperate, and they're going to become even more desperate for help. Whether it could, might even be a warm space in this coming winter. You've got something to offer. But, and when we do those things, not because oh, I'm supposed to, because I recognise it's God wanting to reach the people. It's God's wisdom being displayed. It's God's love. It's, it's this incredible grace that is so incredible. That if, people just, if they just sniffed it, they just saw it, they just saw it amongst the people, they would be saved in a moment. We just let them see it. Now through the church. Now through the church. So this church reaching and restoring and resourcing and uh, being a family and being a body and, and being a temple displays this thing. This manifold wisdom. Revelation 7. This wonderful, glorious picture of everyone gathered in it's all done. Oh, it's all done. It's all done. All the tears are wiped away. We, we see it like we hoped we would. Because we see him. It says this. After this I looked, says John. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue gathered, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands. They're crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb. What do you see in that picture? You see the final gathered number. This is it. This is the travail of his soul being satisfied. This is the final moment of worship. This is the completeness of worship. And what do you see in the completeness of worship? You don't just see some mass of people. You see tribe and tongue and language all displayed. Celebrating the diversity and unity of God's gathered people. All these languages. And what does that mean? That means... Like a family, I need you to complete my worship to Jesus and you need me and I need your language and you need my language and I need your culture and you need my culture. I can't do it without you. It doesn't, I, I, it's not complete until we all get there before this throne. Yes. And somehow each language and each voice and, and each different colour and different flavour, different culture before the throne singing in their own way doesn't form a cacophony but forms a symphony of worship and the completeness is done before the throne of God Amen. and God's manifold wisdom is displayed you know when the church starts to look a bit like that when the church starts to sound a bit like that when people look at how on earth is this happening how you angels long to look into these things the church is a graduate school for angels how is it going to happen how can, how can that one and that one and that language and that how can it happen God's wisdom displayed. It happens because Jesus unites. It happens because grace is wonderful. It's, it's so surprising. And when the church starts to look like that in all the ways we've described, yeah. his manifold wisdom is displayed. The, again, that picture of the light shining through the diamond. And boom, oh my goodness. What is this? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? God's wisdom. God's wisdom on display. Every tribe and tongue, distinctive 
yet the praise to God united. That's why we love the church. <laughs> Isn't it? That's why we love the church. It's this unique thing. Is it frustrating? Oh my goodness, is it frustrating? Is it painful? Yes. I've worked for churches for 30 years, I think. It's nearly killed me a few times, and even quite recently. It's nearly finished, it's really nearly finished me off. I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack through this. I thought those things from time to time. I really thought it. Do you know what? I give my life again for it. For her. The bride of Christ. It's, that, that's a precious, precious description. Bride. Think if, if you're married, if, you, if, you're, if you're a guy, you know, you know what that's like. You, you have a look. Bride. Oh my goodness. Your legs go a bit, don't they? Like, oh my goodness. It's really, really the bride of Christ. That's us. That's you. That's your people. That's that group you're going to meet with in a couple of days. <laughs> it's them it's the manifold wisdom of God on display we didn't answer the questions we started with and it was intentional <laughs> because I don't think there always are answers to those questions you know I don't think you know they're different for everyone and they're complicated and the, the, the challenges that I know I've experienced, and like many of you will have done too over time, they didn't, they didn't get resolved very satisfactorily always. <laughs> it's not like, oh, brilliant, oh, that all, that's all clear then. I'm glad that we cleared that up nicely, that's great. But there's something to reach for that means I'll, I'll, I'll endure the confusion of, of a sinful and a sin-sick world for this. I'll do it for this. I won't, I won't demand all my questions get answered. I won't demand that my position is vindicated. But what I will do is seek to display the manifold wisdom of God to a watching world. Um, that's it. <laughs> I hope that helps. I hope it helps. What I wanted to do is to help us. And I, wanted us to, I want us to see something of that glorious, glorious, beautiful church. Because that, that's the only thing really I, you know how could anyone answer we've got much wiser heads in the room than I am and they didn't even have all the answers <laughs> but here is something worth living and dying for I think yes. so I hope that helps